0: Welcome to Double Take, where we explore the art and science of making good decisions. I'm Matt, and I'm Anshul. Anshul, your your hair looks really, really good today. <laughs> okay, thank you, Matt. No, I mean seriously, it looks looks amazing. Like really good. What what hair product do you use? <laughs> well,
1: I mean, I actually make a point of not using any hair product, so yeah, I, I try to try to get haircuts which <laughs> don't need maintenance
0: classic answer. i should have go, i should have known well on 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 the on the topic of how good your hair looks uh today we're talking about lying um I'll, I'll qu- <laughs> our question today is should i lie well in that case
1: i think your hair looks amazing as well Matt.
0: <laughs> thank you thank you so lying pretty much everyone does it there is a really good ted talk i watched recently by pamela meyer who wrote a book called Lie Spotting, and that claims that the average person is lied to between 10 and 200 times every single day. And this includes everything from little white lies we could tell our kids to large-scale conspir- conspiracies. So apparently lying is, lying is everywhere. Everyone does it. Man, this is one of those pseudo scientific sounding numbers where I'm
1: like, I really want to see the, like, the study <laughs> for how you got that number. Yeah, you just ask
0: people, are you lying? And yeah. They,
1: uh... <laughs> but I think the the most insidious thing about lying is the fact that the so many of the lies you're lying to yourself, and then you also go tell that lie to other people. So you're not even aware of them, right? And then you've got the whole virtue signaling element where you know people don't want to admit they're lying. And then like, what is, what even is the definition of a lie? Like there are there are very few things that I can say to you that are absolutely true or false like, you know, maybe numerical facts, but everything else has like a ton of bias around how I frame it to you, what level of detail I decide to communicate. And it could be intentional or not. You know, you don't need to know every single detail of what I'm telling you either.
0: Yeah, for sure. sure. And I mean, even, even when you do say something that is absolutely true, so the cold hard truth, even then there's this election effect where in every instance, there's a huge number of things you could say that are absolutely true. You could stand there listing prime numbers all day, and that would be true, but you would never do that you You select things that you say and from that set, even of true things, you can select things that present a particularly biased view, so you know it's it's really not that that obvious how to approach this and that that fact is used i mean, as we both do all the time the The media does it all the time by presenting only one side of a story it happens. In academia, in the the phenomenon of p hacking, where, you know, only papers that fall within a, a particular range of statistical significance are published, the others are not, and that skews the the results. So it happens everywhere, but I think let's bring it for this conversation back to the topics that are directly relevant for everyday life. So I think let's frame it the, the question I would frame today is should I lie? How how do you how do you, how do you think about that question?
1: Mm. So, I mean, I've I've already got a view on this, but let's play devil's advocate for a bit. Mm. First of all, I don't know if there's a simple answer. Again, there's very few things which are an absolute truth. And so the question of should I lie is not really as simple as it seems, because a lot of the time it's very hard to tell if something is even a lie or not. Mm. There'll be some element of framing or bias or, you know, just... the the way it happened to be communicated and the way the other person interpreted it. But if we start off with, you know, a fairly contrived example of a lie which might be justified, then let's say I spike Hitler's tea with something that changes his personality so that he becomes the nicest man on earth and he stops trying to kill everyone. Then he asks me if, hey, like, did you spike my tea? And surely it's a net positive at this point if I lie to him and I'm like, no, no, I don't spike your tea. Go ahead and drink it.
0: <laughs> That's. I, I, think, I think we should make it a rule on this podcast not to use Hitler examples unless, <laughs> uh, unless absolutely necessary. Um, yeah, and even in that case, the, the typical example there is, do you go back in time and kill Hitler? But classic and sure example is, do I go back and give him a love potion? So very. it's very kind of you. <laughs> yeah, I guess... I guess certainly there is an argument for telling a lie in, the, in service of the greater good, and, and the Hitler example is a good one. However, I do, I do think even in that case, there are plenty examples of when this unexpectedly backfires. So in the real world, often we, we try to do this, and then something that's unforeseen happens in the future, and things turn out far worse. And I, I actually heard a story here, probably also on a contrived example, but the example is, suppose your friend has a, a midlife crisis and decides to buy himself a pair of hot pink cowboy boots and, you know, hit the town on, in those boots. And, you know, you don't want to sort of embarrass him and tell him they don't look good. So you say, wow, they look wonderful. Good on you. So much confidence. I, I wish I had a pair. And at first blush, it seems all very well and good. But then your birthday rolls around and guess what you get as a gift from oh, your friend no. for, <laughs> for your birthday. So he, yeah, he he brings you these hot pink cowboy boots as a gift. And now you're in a more sticky situation because you have no good options in front of you. You can either wear them and look like a fool and be embarrassed, or you can tell the truth at this point, but the consequences now are far worse because they've spent money. The person knows you lied to them. And so even there, in that case sort of lying for the greater good, I think can sometimes lead to sort of overall negative consequences. Mm, it's the the ugly Christmas sweater all over again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly.
1: Cool. But I, yeah, broadly, I, I agree. So it seems to not be that simple, right? Like even if it is potentially for the greater good, there are obviously downstream consequences to a lie and we probably have to come up with some kind of framework as to when it makes sense and when it doesn't. How, how do you think about breaking it down?
0: Yeah, you no, know, I, I agree. But even when I do look at this from first principles, I actually still come out with a fairly hardline view on this topic. And, I mean, just to jump the gun, my view is that lying is usually the wrong thing to do, almost always, in fact. And uh, even in those cases of little white lies or lies for the greater good, I still think it's, it's usually the wrong thing to do. But the, the, the framework that I've, that I've got here actually starts by flipping the question around and asking the question, you know, what needs to be true in order to think that lying is the right thing to do? And when I do that, I think there are three things that come out for me. I would be keen to get your thoughts on these. Uh, The first is that I think we need to believe that we can lie effectively and get away with it. The second is that supposing we can do that, then we need to believe it's an effective strategy for achieving our goals. And the third thing is that taken holistically outside of the context of the specific lie, it needs to still be worthwhile on like an overall life level, all things considered, all the externalities considered. And I actually think that in every single one of these things, lying pretty much doesn't hold up i think i
1: i broadly agree with that i let's dig into that and then visit the part of the question which i think is more interesting which is even figuring out what is a lie and what isn't mm. but if i play back what she said if we think about the the cases where it might make sense to lie then, you know, first of all, we have to be able to do it. We have to get the benefit of the actual lie. Obviously, it's stupid to bother taking on the downside risk of doing it if there's no upside, right? It should actually help us achieve our goals, right? Like, let's say, I don't know, somehow the love potion strategy actually wouldn't have stopped Hitler anyway. Then there's no point, again, taking on the downside risk and taking this action because even if it does work and he does do it, if it's not going to achieve our goals, then again, no point. And the third one is just remember to essentially take the long-term view here, right? Mm-hmm. We we live a life of you know, repeated interactions with many people, sometimes the same people, sometimes different one, but you know, even those different people will talk to each other. And so what are the consequences of this lie over a mm. 10, 20, 30, 40 year time horizon mm. where we might, you know, win a few short-term games, but in the long run end up potentially in a situation where people don't want to interact with us because we're not trustworthy.
0: Mm. So you're saying the older you get, the more okay to lie it is. Old people can lie and it's Well
1: maybe. Maybe if you if you were gonna well, I think this is the case with all things that have typical long-term negative consequences, right? If I was gonna die right. tomorrow, I I could basically do whatever I wanted.
0: Yeah, yeah, agreed. Agreed. So let's let's specify that we're talking about people who have a long, bright future ahead of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, th- I mean, I think that's, I think I agree with most of that framing. So don't get caught, make sure the lie actually helps you and think about the long-term impact. So are we saying if, if we think through those things and we still think it's an okay thing to lie, then, you know, go ahead, lie. Well, I mean, I, I think there's
1: two things here. One, I think As we dig into them, we're going to find that it actually, if you think about all three of those, even actually just the very third one of Mm. the long-term consequences and importantly, our inability to predict what those might be, on average, it probably makes sense to never lie. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then two, when we revisit the topic of, you know, how should we frame facts? What level of detail should we give? To some extent, we're always forced to make some level of air quote lie choice. Mm. Um, how do we think about that, and is there maybe a better heuristic we can adopt when making those trade-offs?
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you, and do, does one come to mind? Do you have a heuristic in mind, or
1: I mean, off the top of my head, and this is very rough, but I would guess, you know, in a, in a one-to-one interaction, maybe the right heuristic is thinking about what is beneficial to the other person, or at the very least, if the other person understood all of the facts the way I do, they would appreciate the way I communicated it. And I suspect in the vast majority of cases, for most people, that is going to be communicating as much of the truth as is important to that Mm. person. But I think it gets maybe a bit more complicated when you have multi-party scenarios, right? Maybe if there are four different people Mm. and they've all got different conflicts and you have to you know, there's actually potentially no way to make everyone happy. And mm. a lot of these things aren't necessarily explicit lies where you're withholding information. They can just come down to, you know, how you frame a situation or how you, you know, the level of detail you're providing or, you know, where you're placing emphasis versus where you're not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think, that, I think it makes sense. Especially the point about this line game being more of a social one that involves repeated interactions with people. I think in, in that in that scenario, that lens of how much others, others can trust you, I think you're right. That's that's a really useful framing to have in mind. And so maybe bringing, bringing in that framing of trustworthiness, maybe we can break down those three points further. I mean, for, firstly, we said that lie, for lying to make sense, you have to believe that you can get away with it. And I, I personally think we usually can't, even especially in the long run. And I think this one breaks down further into like some technical reasons. Firstly, that, I mean, if you just think like mechanically what lying involves, you have to kind of create a story about the future. And then every time you tell a subsequent lie, you have to create a new one. And so there's this like branching effect of, of all the different scenarios you have to keep in mind. And I actually think very quickly, the computational complexity of this procedure grows to be much, much bigger than what we can keep in our heads. There's like this exponential growth effect. And so I actually feel like even from just like a computational load perspective, we don't have enough RAM in here to <laughs> to run that procedure, you know, and if if it becomes so big that you have to kind of look back in like to hard drive memory and access things, people will see you standing there thinking about what you said.
1: trying yeah, yeah, so try to come up with a consistent story. This yeah, reminds it, me of a very minor tangent here, but what was the thing which they came up with to explain the movement of the planets? epicycles
0: Was yeah, that epicycles yeah, epicycles yeah. yeah
1: yeah and they would just kind of layer on it basically i think it was before they realized everything rotated around the sun and they would come up with in- increasingly complex models they'd find a new star it'd be in a different position they'd be like ah like we we gotta layer on another rule and then the entire thing fits together
0: exactly and
1: far more computationally complex in a in a surprisingly kind of parallel way
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then really, if you just say, oh, actually the earth is spinning and that's why the planets look like they're kind of doing these little cycles as they rotate around, everything looks great. So I think it's a a great, that's a great point. The other, the other, it's sort of a related point, but if you imagine the space of all possible stories you could tell, you know, most of them will be lies because most of them don't fit the, the, the facts. And I actually think with enough, enough background information, you realize that in fact, the, the truth is the only unique scenario. There is, in the limit of enough facts, there is just one scenario that will fit all of them. And that's the truth. And we can get into details of that. But I think that means that it's incredibly hard to construct convincing lies in the face of a lot of background facts. And that means over time, like, lies become very, very contrived or unconvincing. Whereas the truth is always something that uniquely fits everything. So from that perspective, I basically just think it's very hard to tell a convincing lie.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think also, as you do, the surface area of that lie increases. And yeah. what I mean by that is, you know, you tell one lie, somebody asks a question, you have to construct another lie to explain that away. And as the surface area increases, you're building like a fundamentally fragile system where yeah. <laughs> each, each additional interaction with the web of lies increases the probability that the entire thing topples over.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. And you can actually prove this again. Like imagine you have to lie to someone about where you were at a particular time. You could give them one lie and keep it very vague. You know, I was was somewhere in the city on Monday. Or you could invent a whole calendar and tell them hour by hour where you were. In the second case, it's much more fragile. Even though it's a much more convincing story, it's much more fragile because you just need to point out one case in which you weren't there and the whole thing comes crumbling down. So perfect example. And it actually it relates to the the third point under this sort of "We aren't able to lie bucket," which is I think basically people are very good at spotting b s and and seeking out the truth. Most people really just can't lie convincingly to other people, and most people are very good at detecting lies in in someone else. You know you spot subtle things even if it's a, sort of a bit subconscious, you get a subtle feeling that something's not quite right. And so I actually just think for most people, like they fundamentally aren't able to tell a convincing lie.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know, either I am, I'm easily convinced and people have been lying to me and I can't tell, or that is fraudly true.
0: Yeah, well, it's probably, I think probably one downside of being very truthful is that you probably do place more trust in, in other people than is perhaps warranted.
1: Yeah, maybe I, yeah, I'd I'd be very curious that number you mentioned at the start, the, the 10 to 200 to just actually observe the raw data for that. Yeah. and you know maybe maybe we would both be very shocked at the level and frequency to which people lie to one another
0: or or the the revealed self lies and, and lies that we're telling that we weren't we weren't marking down before <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah it's it's true i will go back and rewatch that youtube video the second point don't need to go into major, major details but the second point was that i think even if we could get away with lying it's still usually not very effective at achieving our goals in the long term and the, the two lenses I take here are one, a cost benefit lens. And the second is like a, a trust and reputation lens. And maybe they're part of the same thing. But on the cost benefit side, I really just think over time, like incentive systems have been calibrated such that they don't reward, There is no arbitrage in lying, basically. They don't reward liars in the same way that crime doesn't usually pay off. You know, you typically get caught and the fines are usually calibrated in a way that makes doing crime not worth it by design. I feel like lying is is very similar, whether it's calibrated within a social context or elsewhere. Usually, the consequences of getting caught at once undoes all of the upsides of getting away with lying in other areas. And so on aggregate, lying just basically doesn't pay off. It's really interesting. When you said, when you gave the crime analogy, I immediately mm-hmm. thought of
1: you know, countries where crime is extremely common and not mm. really punished. Like if you go to India, you know, it's just part of day-to-day life, tax evasion, bribery. Pe- people don't really think twice about it. I don't know, it might, it might actually be similar in, in South Africa too. It is. And so I wonder if there's a parallel there. Like one, what is the construct, which means that the calibration is wrong in those locations? And then two, is there some parallel here to dishonesty where the social systems in some places are actually set up in a way where it is okay to lie. And again, if I, if I think about, you know, joint India, tax evasion, bribery, things like that, I would estimate that the average level of deceit in business dealings is far higher than elsewhere, which means to some extent people maybe care less about lying and there's maybe less long-term reputational risk to being a bit deceitful.
0: Ah, that's a really interesting point. That's definitely based on sort of just reflecting on South Africa now, I would say that's true. Like bribery is very very common, sort of dodgy business dealings, corruption, very very common. And it is related to the consequence. It's directly related to the consequences, you know, there there is a a smaller less effective police force, you know, I mean bribery works, so you can get away with it. And I do think that 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 results in also a culture that is kind of more lax about about lying completely hypothesis i haven't tested this but it it resonates so i think it's a great point
1: yeah i think i mean this this could be pure confirmation bias but i i can think of examples where people actually either catch deceit and are like ah they got me right (laughs) and with with a with a small amount of respect it's like ah nice try like i respect that move (laughs) the third you didn't get me this time i'll get you next time and it does make me rethink the the level to which the social construct is kind of inherent versus you know actually can vary a great deal depending on where you go.
0: yeah, it's true. so, so maybe this second point has to be calibrated based on context a little bit. I think certainly in the context in which I live currently, it it's not like that, and I think lying in most cases, especially in a, in a professional context, I think the consequences definitely outweigh the benefits. And certainly the long-term trust and reputational damage, you know, are a big come to play here. Almost everything we do are repeated social games. I think a phrase I've heard is that reputation and trust are gained in drops, but lost in buckets. Mm-hmm. And I think it's totally true. You know, you get caught up for one lie and it is, it's a thousand truths to get you back there. So that that definitely resonates. But again, even if it didn't, the third point that I said was that I think if you look holistically at your life, and include things that are even not related to this particular like one particular lie. In that case, lying usually doesn't make sense anyway. A bunch of examples here. One is just the ethical lens. Like, yeah, you know, lying is unethical. Lots of people don't want to be unethical people, and that it doesn't make them feel good about themselves to lie, and so on. So, that's one. But it also, just it alienates you from people. Like the point we you said earlier. You know, you you tell the truth a lot, and then potentially assume more trustworthiness in others. That I think the opposite is also true. You know, people who lie a lot become very cynical and they assume that other people are not trustworthy and they get very a- alienated from their relationships. They become very sort of suspicious and cynical. So mm-hmm. I think it, 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 is, it has this really alienating effect. And the final one is I actually just think it makes you less effective in other domains. So imagine imagine your mind was a computer running like lie algorithms and because of the exponential growth of lies and so on, you're doing it successfully, but you're dedicating a huge amount of cognitive resource to keeping these or all these various models of the world alive in your head. Necessarily, you're spending less of your cognitive energy on other things, and so I think it, it makes you less effective at all the important things in life just because you're wasting so much energy and mind space on on maintaining lies. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. In in short, it yeah, like it just takes up
1: headspace, which apart from anything else is you know additional stress additional like a burden that you've got to carry around think about and yeah i've I've definitely come across people who are more cynical i i don't know whether they themselves are aligned but their their reaction to any situation is immediately to begin to question motives authenticity and that becomes a very deep rabbit hole which it kind of becomes hard to move forward from
0: yeah yeah exactly
1: Cool. So do you think we should take this framework for a spin?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Do you want to kick us off?
1: Yeah. All right. So I've got a, I've got an example I heard recently. Someone I know, they hired an employee Mm They weren't performing very well. They gave them some feedback, but ultimately like they they had to let them go. And there's a few ways to go about this. Obviously you can sit down and just fire them. This person in some sense did it what might be considered a bit nicer, they actually got a recruiter who was a friend to reach out, offer them a role somewhere where they would be a better fit. And that person ultimately took that role and left the company. So now it mm. you know, seems like a happy ending, right? The person has left the company, the manager has, you know, without confronting them or successfully without having to fire them themselves has gotten into that outcome. I think it's important to note they did give them feedback and they were kind of performance managing to some extent beforehand Mm -hmm. which is important for that individual to know what they were doing that needed work Mm -hmm. Um, but i guess the question is should they have then told them at the very end that they coordinate coordinated this with the recruiter and that the person would have been fired directly otherwise
0: Mm. it's a very good example Mm -hmm. i think i think this one touches a few points in the framework especially the one that comes to mind is that life situations like this in life are repeated games not one offs and so so you, you, like if you if you think from a reputational perspective and you want to build a trustworthy reputation then you have to consider what the long term implications are of you know not telling them and, and what comes to mind is suppose let's play it forward suppose you decided not to tell them the truth so you organized this recruiter to come and find them a new job and they had no idea that they would have been fired anyway and you didn't tell them. In the short run, it definitely feels like a good thing to do, right? You solve two problems with one stone. You avoid having a tough conversation, it can damage their confidence, and you also find them a, a new position where they are potentially a better fit. But it doesn't take very much thinking to look down the track and realize the game is potentially not over. So suppose, for example, in a few weeks time, the new employer gave you a call to request a a recommendation for this employee. Now you're put in an awkward situation, like what do you do? You are forced to break somebody's trust because either you can lie to the new employer and you can say, "Yep, they were a great performer, no hesitation recommending them." And then it turns out that when they underperform, you've just lost trust with the new employer. Or you could tell the truth and you could say to the new employer, "No, the poor person is an underperformer. We would have you know, we're getting we would have made them redundant or whatever it is." Then if the word gets back out to the employee you would not just damage their confidence but you would also completely destroy the trust that they had in you. And so in in my view in this case telling the truth minimizes this downside risk which is much larger than the difficulty of having a tough conversation up front. But I'm not I'm not fully fully convinced that's the right answer. What what do you what are your thoughts here? What do you think about this situation?
1: I think I think that's the perfect counterpoint and I think I agree in that situation. Yeah, the, the downside risk long term is mm-hmm. higher than whatever the short term benefit is. You know, if I were to contrive this example a little more, maybe you could say that you genuinely thought that this person wasn't a fit for the current role they were in with you, but they were a great fit for this other role with someone else. Mm-hmm. and mean, saying that out loud now it actually becomes a far less hard conversation to then go directly <laughs> tell them that and yeah. have them move on to the next role in which case again you know why would you why would you take on the downside risk of telling the way mm. uh, i think a heuristic here is also potentially what would that person want mm-hmm. uh, like if everything was revealed to them would they actually appreciate the fact that you saved them from doubting their self-worth or you know damaging their confidence and i think you'll actually get people in both camps like I know people who definitely would want to know, I would want to know, but I, I'm i pretty sure I know people who would say, I don't want to know, ignorance is bliss. don't tell me, you know, it's going to take me months or years to get over the, the damage to my confidence. I'd rather go out into the job market, you know, not feeling terrible about myself. And so I wonder, if, you know, just given the extra lens of, does it also make sense to tell the truth when the person doesn't want to hear it and maybe there is no benefit to them?
0: yeah, that's a, that, that that's a good one. It's a little bit it's a little bit risky because you start playing this game of trying to predict what's in another person's head and then what is in another person's head and play that multiple times into the future or just to like doctor what you say to sort of I don't know maximize how they feel about things. I definitely think it's there is some extent to which has a good lens, but I do think that in many cases it will become just quite a difficult thing to do versus taking the lens of, you know, representing the truth, but I guess it doesn't answer the question that you mentioned earlier. It's like, what, what level of truth do you represent in this case? You know, do you have to tell them all the details about why they weren't performing and, or could you just say, Hey, culturally, this is not working out great, but there's this other option, which it it would. So yeah, it doesn't fully answer that question, but I think I love the, I love the sentiment in, in that way of thinking, you know, what would the other person want? What would, what would most benefit the other person? So I, I definitely buy that. What, what are the other downsides there? So, you know, one, one thing that comes to mind here is that everyone can agree on what the truth is once you agree the facts. But if you say I did this because I thought that they would want to hear it, no one can then kind of scrutinize whether that's true or not. It's a, it's a truth that just lives in your head and can be a story. So how how do you get away from things like, like that?
1: Yeah, I, I think, the the other element here is that it's really easy to lie to yourself, and the, the vast mm-hmm. majority of lies people tell themselves are to like they they will end up getting told to other people, and you'll end up believing that this is essentially what all cognitive biases are a yeah. lie to yourself. Yeah. And if you do take the approach which I just mentioned, where you know you start to try to guess what the other person might want and you know, structure everything around that, it becomes very, very easy to lie to yourself, right? You can now start telling yourself lies which maybe justify an easier path, but which aren't necessarily, you know, the air quotes, right thing to do. And so I think where we're ending up is essentially in a place where, you know, if we contrive concrete, specific examples, I think we will be able to find cases where rationally it does make sense to lie. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those things where it only exists in like on paper. And Mm -hmm. in practice, there's just so many unknown unknowns that good heuristics are going to win out every time on average over the long run. If we, you know, if we, if we do take this particular example to another extreme where I think it starts to become more justifiable, then let's say, you know, everyone on their team also hated them. And should I now share that information with them as I'm firing them? And so also, to what level of detail do I you know is is not lying in quotes, sharing all of the truth in you know, absolute terms? Do I need to start <laughs> digging up exact you know messages I've seen or words that I've heard and giving it all to them? Because again, back to my original point, we are still forced every time we communicate to decide on the frame and the level of detail we share and there's never going to be an actual absolute truth when we're doing that.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely true. But there was something that I hadn't thought of before, but I, I, I just thought of then as you were speaking about it. You know, if you don't give the full truth to somebody in that situation, suppose everyone on the team literally hated them. They were so underperforming, everyone on the team hated them, but you chose to soften it to the point where, oh, you know, you're just really not culturally fitting here and you move them on that way. But then a month later, there's someone else in your team who genuinely is a great person. Everybody loves them, but they're just not meeting their performance. And you have to deliver some feedback. And they know that everyone hated this other person.
1: But yeah. you deliver the
0: soft, completely true truth that you're just not meeting the bar. And unfortunately, we have to move you on. What are they going to think? They are going to think, oh, well, everyone must have hated me because this, <laughs> this happened to Karen one month ago. And so, you know, I, I get what you're saying, but I, I do think, again, if you take the holistic picture, there there is a there's a big danger in that. It could actually harm people who maybe didn't deserve it and and get the wrong idea. So, again, it brings me back to probably the truth is the safest lens. There, I guess there's also the the other issue with the framing is that we we aren't really omniscient, right? We can't predict the future, so we we actually don't know how someone would have responded to very direct, very honest feedback versus our softened feedback. And it's it's kind of humorous to pretend we, we do. And again, I think this points to the the erring on the side of being more transparent and truthful. Because you know, if you decided to soften the truth because you thought the other person couldn't take it, and maybe that actually led to more negative consequences, they didn't get the feedback that they needed and therefore didn't change and something worse happened, you're kind of now responsible in a way that you wouldn't have been if you were more transparent and direct. So, yeah. Again, I think going going to the framing of you know, minimizing the downside risk. You know, thinking more holistically. I, I feel like all of these things point to erring on the side of like quite open transparency.
1: Yeah, I I broadly agree. I think we're we're coming to two broad conclusions here. Maybe not conclusions quite yet, but <laughs> one. You know, in in the real world with, you know, lots of missing information, lots of different dynamic people, it makes sense probably on average, especially over multiple repeated games with, you know, large timelines Mm -hmm. to just take the policy of be as transparent and as truthful as possible. That being said, there's probably a second question answer, which is, okay, cool, like I'm going to try to communicate to these people as much of the truth as is like practically valuable. But I also need to make a decision around how I frame that and Mm -hmm. the level of detail which matters. And in doing that, it probably also makes sense to think about, you know, in difficult conversations, harm minimization, Mm -hmm. right? How do I get this person the information they need while minimizing the... Amount of maybe emotional damage that they might receive, or that you know other people they interact with, or that I interact with, might have to deal with.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I I fully agree. So then let's move on to the the next key point that I think is important here, which is that example of the the uniqueness of of truth. You know, the truth being the only thing that could fit all the facts. And <laughs> I actually wanted to nerd out for a second here and talk about the laws of physics, as I very often do. You know. He, <laughs> In physics, there's this concept of the universe being fully determined by the facts. And it basically means that once you have enough information about the state of a system, you are able to fully determine what the past was that led to that system. You could play it backwards to any point in history and forwards, but they're the same thing. And truth-telling is actually very similar. You know, if, if you think of each statement, whether true or false, as a story that we're telling about the world to fit all of the facts that we know, then the more facts that we add, the smaller this possible space of like real possible truths becomes, and eventually, if you play this limit forward, eventually there is only one truth that fits all the facts, and that's the that's the truth, that's the real truth. And the the reason I point it back to physics is because this is a law, this is this is a fundamental law, and it, it applies to everything, including language games we play, including the stories that happen in our heads. If it happens in physics, it happens there, and so there really is this this real issue that if you lie, eventually you're going to have to construct a lie to fit more and more facts. And it's going to become a more narrow sliver, a more gerrymandered little story that you're telling to fit the facts. Either that's going to be extremely, extremely hard to do or, you know, well, it's going to be extremely, extremely hard to do. And you have to continue like tweaking the story or eventually you'll hit a point where there is no way to continue this story. Like the truth will, will cut it through. There'll be like logical inconsistency and so from from that perspective i think you know you're even starting with like little small lies is a very dangerous thing to do because it sets you on this path that usually ends in a lot of pain <laughs> that 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 is a very u example
1: i i find it <laughs> extra funny because if if the universe is fully determined then the entire premise of this episode should i lie somewhat out the window because <laughs> well, we we never had a choice in the first place, right?
0: Yeah, this is like our our conversation on free will that we didn't ever put anywhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Can't escape it. But I think what you're saying is correct. This is commonly referred to as, I guess, like the web of lies. Yeah, like if you defend one lie, you'll layer more lies on top, and each time you do that, the entire thing becomes more fragile. You have mm-hmm. more lies and stories to track in your mind. The surface area of the lie or web of lies increases and a single kind of fracture in that web will unravel the entire thing mm. the, the the first example that comes to mind is like murder mystery right you know, you've got knives out is probably the, the most recent <laughs> thing i've seen i don't yeah. know if you've watched that but yeah. you know you you've got something like 10 people they're trying to figure out who who committed the murder and the detective is you know always unraveling the thread of clues because the the murderer was never able to cover every single thing up yeah i think i think the other point which you touched on very briefly but the the other downside to telling these small white lies is i think it actually trains the mental habit of dishonesty and Mm -hmm. like i said before lying to yourself is probably the most frequent and the most dangerous form of lying And there's almost another angle here where you want to very deliberately train the habit of Mm truth-seeking, if only purely for yourself, so that you can avoid the lies you would otherwise be telling yourself. And if you only walked away with that as the clear win out of all of this, I think that's massive upside in every decision you make throughout the rest of your life.
0: That last point is a really good one. It is one that I would love to see some data on or some studies on because I could also imagine someone who gets really good at lying has to have an amazing awareness of what the difference is between a lie and a truth. And maybe someone who's great at lying to someone else is actually very good at being honest with themselves and calling out their own BS because they've practiced so often thinking about all the different lies. But potentially not. My, My guess would be you're right. My guess would be Truth-seeking behavior and and sort of just being truthful as default to others, to yourself, probably leads to a more truth truthful Yeah, a truthful way of being with yourself.
1: Well, the the population I imagine to be the most truth-seeking is scientists. Right? Mm -hmm. Because you a good scientist at least will assume that they are default wrong. Right? I'm dealing with some inaccurate model of the world that I've got to date and my job is just to find a slightly better one that is also wrong. And you know a lot more scientists than I do, so I'd be, I'd be curious where you tend to find more like deeply truth-seeking people in the world of business or in the world of science.
0: Oh, god, now that is an interesting one. The the, the problem is that both are in, faced with this really insidious problem of Moloch, which is the the huge incentive systems that kind of force everyone to act in particular ways. In business, it's like profit-seeking behavior. In science, it's Getting citations and you know publish or perish and and while I, I t- completely agree like science as sort of a, a, a you know when done right is really truth seeking and great I do also think it's plagued by severe issues like for example only the the, the norm to only publish positive results mm-hmm. leads to scientific publications in aggregate and meta studies that are completely divorced from the actual <laughs> statistics of the world. And then those become the foundational studies for other work, and so on. And everyone kind of knows it, but everyone knows it's a hard problem, so no one's really digging into it. And so I think there's like this this layer one truth seeking mentality built on a big edifice of <laughs> of lies that everyone knows about. and doesn't want to, you know, we'd rather die before we <laughs> before we remove <laughs> the veil on on that on that problem. Yeah, I mean the the science one is good because you know you mentioned something as serious as murder mysteries. For, for truth seeking, then then you get little things like scientific studies and what you study. And I think it's true. It doesn't have to be as consequential as a murder for it to be important to worry about whether you're starting a web of lies. I think even very small little white lies can actually end up having just as bad consequences as a very very blatant lie. The the example that I have in mind here is quite prescient at the moment is of Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos which obviously that's a healthcare company it promised to revolutionize blood testing through at-home blood tests that just needed sort of like a drop of blood versus a, a full sample and I actually re- only recently just finished reading the the book that kind of like revealed the whole scandal but you know th- the start of her story was just basically slight exaggeration of the vision of the company and what the technology could do you know telling stories to investors about how their technology worked or could work and it was kind of, you know, white lies. There was it was early on. There wasn't really anything there, but people could buy into the vision. But it kind of set a precedent to get the ball rolling and tell slightly bigger lies and more and more lies on top of it, as more people got interested. And eventually it grew to, you know, very serious lies. You know, deliberate deception of investors and regulators and customers, blatant falsification of of medical data fake demonstrations, like you name it. it. It was really, really full-on lies. And it just started with sort of like very small sort of white lies about the, the product. And I, mean, I think just in the last couple of weeks, Elizabeth Holmes was given an 11-year prison sentence for basically starting off as a, a fresh university graduate or university dropout, sort of selling a vision, and it, and it just spiraled from there. So I don't think it has to start with a murder for it to be very bad down the track.
1: Yeah, and I think she... She's uh, gone through some kind of personality change as well, from what I can see. Like <laughs> she, she somehow started dressing like a mum. the The pitch of her voice has changed. I mean, as far as the the deception rabbit hole goes, I think she's hit very deep down it. But I, I think the the Theranos story is a really good one, right? Because this idea of you know fake it till you make it, and mm. in the world of entrepreneurship, especially, is often celebrated in hindsight. You know, you'll the there is a world in which you know, she somewhat exaggerated what she began with and they did actually figure it out in year three and they, you know, they had used that exaggeration to raise the money that enabled them to figure it out, which unlocked, you know, huge revolution in healthcare, right? Mm -hmm. But unluckily for her, it didn't work out. Another example that comes to mind is Elon Musk with Tesla, right? Mm -hmm. He's been telling us and customers that, We're going to have fully autonomous vehicles. It's just going to be a firmware upgrade over Wi-Fi into your Tesla. (laughs) And he used that vision and that dream to raise money, to sell cars to customers. And I don't remember the first time I heard it, but it's been many years now. And I still don't believe we have self-driving cars. And I don't know if we we plan to anytime soon. But it's, it's almost a case where it did work out, right? Tesla is doing fairly well. Actually, I don't know the, the latest on that. It's it's quite a volatile business from what I hear, yeah. but it's alive. The business is, you know, he, he raised the money, he got, he got the vision off the ground. It's, it's not a Theranos where the entire thing just kind of fell apart. And a lot of people will celebrate the, you know, the risk that Elon took both, you know, reputationally and financially to go do that. And the fact that he managed to pull it off by taking that risk.
0: I, th- I mean that's a that's a that's a great example of the fake it till you make it thing because I mean in both cases it's it was really really hard in the early days to distinguish what is true from what was not right even for those people making the statements and if you look at Elon he's made many of these statements you know after the PayPal days he told people that he's going to build a rocket company and take people you know build a rocket that could land itself and so on. And I mean, how can you judge that as a true statement or not a true statement? No one knows. It's a statement about the future and about intentions, but he said it with confidence and he did actually end up delivering on that. And Elizabeth Holmes, as you said, you know, she made some similar statements and she didn't and it's, and it spiraled. So you're right. It's, it's very, it's very unclear. And you, you don't want to discourage statements like that sometimes because they are, they do become self-fulfilling. You know, you make statements about really aggressive deadlines at work. And because you've made them you've made it with confidence, the work gets done in that amount of time. And if you hadn't made it, it it wouldn't. And so I think in general, you know, there are cases in which fake it till you make it is not a lie. People, people understand that you're saying things that are untrue today, but you believe that they will be true in the future. And there's a, there's a sort of bit of nuance around that, that question. But I think I guess what, what's needed in those cases is just a set of guiding principles up front that kind of guardrail the things a little bit and stop them from getting out of hand. Maybe like, for example, in the case of Theranos, a principle could be that it's okay to confidently tell investors about your vision for the future and what you think is possible and, you know, what you believe your technology can do if everything goes well. But there are certain hard lines like misrepresenting data, misrepresenting trials, absolutely not on. And at at least then you kind of guardrail the truth a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that makes sense. There, there's a degree to which the person saying the statement also believes whether or not it's true. I'm sure Elon and maybe Elizabeth Holmes at the very beginning, I'm sure they did to some degree believe that what mm. they were saying was true and that they would figure it out. But yeah, like you said, anything anything that is concretely misrepresenting something that's clearly a fact, that's a very clear line, which at some point she crossed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what's the recommendation? Do we have a do we have a conclusion here?
1: <laughs> I mean the the overall policy seems to be let's not lie. But as with all of the questions we explore that's probably not as simple as it sounds. I think broadly the reason is that you know life is just simpler, less stress, less things to track in your mind, less fragility in your strategy and also in the long run. I think lying will compound in a very negative way where you mm-hmm reinforce a negative perception and reputation amongst people who might interact with you. And just given that so much of what we do is interacting with people, it's important that they want to interact with you and can in a meaningful way. But then separately, I think being a very consistent person also compounds. And if you're a very consistent and in this case, truthful person over 10, 20, 30, 40 years, Mm -hmm. then uh, people will remember and also share The instances which stood out to them as, you know, this person, regardless of the context of the situation, decided to be truthful and that'll make other people more likely to come work with you or interact with you because they know they can trust you, right? Life's just a lot easier when you can trust the people you're dealing with. I think the big caveat here is like, what does lying even mean or telling the Mm. truth even mean given... That when we communicate, we're forced to take a stance on what information we share and how we share it, and the level of emphasis we might place on different parts of what we're sharing. What, what do you think the heuristic we should use there is?
0: Yeah, it's a hard one. I, th- I think I think you're you're totally right. You know, the the that sort of is like the big unanswered question here, because I think there are roughly two classes that, and they do deserve different treatment. O- on the one hand, you have fairly obvious things, simple instances of simple facts. No ambiguity about what is true and what is not. You know, if, if I ask you what you ate for breakfast today, there is no ambiguity in that question. And I think in those cases, the analysis we've kind of gone through points to the fact that it's probably like almost always the best policy to just be truthful about those, or at least be truthful in not answering them. You don't have to answer every question, but you. But that, that's different from lying about them. So I think in, in that sort of like easier case, it's quite straightforward. I think in the second instance of these cases that are more nuanced where, you know, you're not really sure what is and is not the truth per se, I do think we need a heuristic. And one that I thought of was basically an instance of the good old sunshine test. You know, imagine that whatever course of action you end up taking is going to be hung out in the sun for everyone to see. Like, Imagine a journalist is going to investigate you and write an article about what you did that the whole world will read. In that case, what do you want that article to say? What would you be comfortable with the world seeing? And I think that lens very often solves a lot of this because it brings in that, that point you made earlier of, you know, maybe should I lie is not always the most helpful question, but, you know, how, how do I be most trustworthy or how do I maintain a reputation as being trustworthy? And I think that solves a, a lot of that. So, so maybe, that's, maybe that's the helpful heuristic here. What, what, do you, what do you think of that? Yeah. Yeah. I love that one. It's almost the like
1: an insurance policy, heres sick, right because yeah. <laughs> to some extent the the big downside risk is that you know all of your interactions are you know in quotes hung out too dry and you know shared with the entire world, and so if you do do everything with that in mind, then you know one, if that ever does happen, you've done your best to you know make sure that every, you're you're comfortable with all of that, and so one, you're not going to be worried in. The short to medium term before that might have happened and if it does Mm. happen it's not the worst thing in the world the the example which comes to mind which is i don't know how much lying actually happened here but it's when there was a bit of a scandal when uh, jeff bezos's texts were revealed when he was uh, you know he was still running amazon and he was still in quotes married but his relationship with this news reporter was kind of revealed and i think it was blackmail from memory some news outlet had gotten a hold of the messages between them and they'd threatened to release them if Jeff didn't do something. I don't remember exactly what it was. And he basically just said, go for it, like release it. He he just totally called a bluff and he's like, I have nothing to hide. I think the the public story, the party line was, you know, my my wife and I have, you know, been living separate for a long period of time and, you know, we, we hadn't just told the world, but we're okay with it. And he... In theory, hung everything out to dry and seemed okay with it, rather than caving into the blackmail.
0: That's a great example. That's that's the same. I recently kind of rewatched the Hamilton musical, mm. and there, you know, in the Hamilton musical, and obviously in the real story, he gets caught out for having an affair and using public money to to pay for the husband of the woman not to sort of reveal to the public that that's what was happening. And when it came out, he was just like, okay, well, I'm going to release this to the public. And he wrote public letters and sort of fully honestly and transparently communicated everything. And I don't know, today he's seen as a, as a hero of sorts. So maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. But yeah, it's, I, th- I think we've definitely come to the point where this, you know, more transparency, more honesty, a better policy. Maybe, maybe let's bring this one to a close by thinking about what other people have, have said on this topic. Have you have you seen or read anything that you that you think is interesting that that people would want to hear?
1: So I think the the interesting part about this question is, you know, on the surface the answer is somewhat obvious. You know, mm-hmm. Should I lie? Well, everyone seems to have a you know, broadly in the world the view is fairly consistent that lying is bad, don't lie. I mm-hmm. think it might have been one of the Ten Commandments, I assume it's a it's a thing that's existed for a long time and seems quite core to most cultures the nuance is you know obviously more complex situations like we talked about and i think fiction often does a really good job of showing you cases where the trade-offs might not be so obvious and yeah. fiction usually does a good job with all kind of ethical questions like there's mm. two which come to mind one there's a long indian epic called Mahabharat, and that's got a character in it. It's got a few characters actually who are, you know, very firm about their ethics and the virtues. And there's a few which, you know, they they would rather die than ever tell a lie. And it it is celebrated as a virtue in a book, but there are very clear repercussions as well and trade offs that they have to make, which, you know, result in many people being killed and causing a lot of harm. And it does make you question, you know, was it more important in those situations that that person? Mm-hmm told the truth or you know should they maybe have saved the hundreds or thousands of people from death depends Uh, how
0: old they were how old were they
1: (laughs) i mean you kind of see them through their entire lives and they kill batches of people throughout their lives by by holding on to these virtues the the other one is uh, the which you might have read or or seen it's not strictly lang but you also have a a kind of similar trade-off where you've got two main characters one someone who stole some bread to feed his family right before the French Revolution, and he serves many years in prison doing hard labor, and then eventually he escapes and becomes uh, somewhat a philanthropist-type person in the community, giving people jobs, helping people. Seems like a good man, right? And his initial crime and the big picture wasn't that bad. But then you've got this, you know, uh, prison officer-type person who Spends the entire book hunting him down, trying to catch him, and making sure he serves his sentence, because in the eyes of the law, he is still technically a criminal who stole some bread and then escaped. And you know, maybe maybe the lie here would be the officer turning a blind eye, looking the other way, and letting him go. But you know, within the book, at least it's it's very much a clash of values to some extent, right? The the audience is usually rooting for him and saying, ah, oh, like you know his. He's made up for his sins, but on the other side, you've got this officer who is very, very firmly—you know—I I will not drop this, uh, you know, set of values.
0: Yeah, that's such an interesting example because I think I, ha- I have seen it, it several times, and and the uh, the thing that comes across it, from the audience' perspective, you think you see that the whole system is in some sense not true, and this person is forced to operate in like in a system of lies, where you know, where stealing bread to feed hungry people is. Is it isn't the wrong thing to do? And the the police officer is operating in a separate system and serving his role very well in that system, but it's a system that they're, they're incompatible. You know, his his thing is if it's a crime, it's you know you got to track the person down. So it's an interesting one. the 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 ones that came to mind for me were also fiction, actually, and they were more of the internal types of of lies and lying to yourself. And t- they're two of my favorites. The first is Dostoevsky's *Crime and Punishment* and the second is Adabir Nabokov's Lolita, and both of them take a very, very close look at just how deep self-deception can run. I won't spoil these books in case you've not read them, but I will say in both cases, the story is told from the perspective of the protagonist, and they've both done very, very bad things, and continue to do very bad things, but they, they have a self-rationalization narrative that that kind of tells their this self-story of you know them being good people, and they rationalize everything they do. And what's so interesting is that as they go through it, the reader, you, you end up kind of supporting them in a way. If you're not careful, you end up being on their side because you buy into their rationalization. It's it's really crazy. So yeah, if you've not read those, I would, I would read them. But just be warned, they're both a little bit heavy.
1: <laughs> I have not. It sounds like uh, we've both got a bit of reading to do. Yeah. Same time next yeah, week.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. See you then.
1: Sounds good.